but it really is a privilege to be down here. We, got, um, we had a moment earlier with people helping set up. Um, one of my responsibilities at Grace Covenant Church is your sister churches or sending church. Um, we, uh, I have the privilege of leading our prayer team there, and we get to pray for you guys every Friday. And periodically, I get an opportunity to, to uh, communicate with Pastor Paul to find out what specifically we can pray for you. And so, though I don't know most of you, um, I do love you, and I'm grateful to be here and to be able to serve you. Um, one quick thing about me is that I'm very lucky. I, I, I really believe that the Lord has proven how much he loves me through my wonderful wife. Um, and so I love Pastor Paul, but he didn't do enough justice to let you know how great my wife is. Her name is Crystal um, Clemens. Um, we have four kids, and, and I'm probably not the easiest husband to have, but she is excellent. Um, she recently went out of town for a week, and I was like, what, what, what to be in at times. Um, we have a nine-year-old daughter and a three-year-old. All of our letters of the first name, my first name is Christopher, begin with C. And so just some really un, um, some unnecessary information for you, but we call ourselves C6, um, just because we thought that was really clever. <laughs> so um, thank you um, for having me. I'm really appreciative to be here. Um, but I do talk a lot, so I want to just jump right into the scripture um, that we have this morning. Um, the message that I feel that the Lord has given to me for you guys is entitled Partakers of the Divine Nature. Partakers of the Divine Nature, and we will be looking at primarily 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. And I want to apologize now to the AV team. Um, I still have my ESV version. I forgot to switch it over. Please forgive me. So it may read a little differently than you have before. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Everybody is glad to be here. Um, but the reality is no one really wants to hear from me. They want to hear from you. And so I ask, Lord God, that you'll use me as a tool to communicate your message, um, that you'll open up our ears to hear well, and the things that are from you that you will grasp on our hearts so that it will impact the way that we live, the way that we look like you, the way that we love like you. We want to grow more. We, we're not here just to check off a religious box, but we're here um, to be transformed by you. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will have your way this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, and what um, Pastor Paul told me is that you guys are currently in a series of Life in the Spirit. And really, the way that I feel led to approach on this subject is what are looking at what are some of the things that maybe hinder you from a life in the spirit, how we have to position ourselves or 
humble ourselves under God, and then what does it take to really become a partaker of the divine nature? And so, um, looking um, directly at 1 Peter, um, one of the things that I think is really important for us to understand when we think about um, this particular, excuse me, I said 1 Peter, I should have said 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, Peter is kind of in a space where he is writing to a, a multitude of churches. Um, many scholars believe that they were primarily like Gentiles, like you and I, who are not of Jewish um, heritage. Um, his, his writing was from a standpoint where he knew um, that his time on the planet was, was coming to an end. So what he wanted to do was highlight what he felt was most important. And so as you look through this very short letter that he sent, it's not as much of a, a friendly letter, not that it's not not that it's unfriendly, but it's more of, of almost like a business thing. Like, I need you to grasp these points, and you need to hear them clearly because there are false teachers that are coming in that want to shift things. They want to have you to drift away from what Christ has established here on the earth. And so these are some of the final things that I have to say. And, and we tend to, in those types of moments, try to say what we think is most important. And so as we are coming into verse 3, Paul has, oh, excuse me, Peter has already introduced himself and he's already given praise to God because of the relationship that we have with him. And so when he starts in, in verse 3, he really begins to, to really set a picture of what has been made available to us, not just in the sweet by and by, but in the here and now. Because we have a tendency to look at scripture and we, 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 we cast everything into a heaven or hell type of situation. That's kind of the way that we, we process things. Like I'm going to deal with and handle things here on the earth, and I'm going to do my best to live out God's moral commands that he's given to me. But when I get to heaven, that's when things will be okay. But Peter here is trying to alert them that here and now, where you live, where you are, the Holy Spirit wants you to understand that these promises aren't just for when we see him and we're made like him, but they are for our life today and how he wants to assist us or lead us and guide us in such a way that brings most glory to God himself. And so Peter says um, in, in verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Once again, that is an indication that it's in this life, in, in the year 2019, that what God has made available through his divine power is available to us here and now. And that power is so that it will influence our life, and that's shown through the godliness in which we, we walk in. And, and our ability to be able to kind of come under um, the discipleship of Christ so that we're made to look more and more like him comes through um, these gifts that he has given to us through the precious promises. And so one of the first things that, that came to mind as I'm looking at these two verses is why in the world did God have to, to, to grant us everything that pertains to life and godliness? What is it about us? I mean, we've been saved. Um, Peter is writing to Christians. Um, what is it about us that made it necessary that God went beyond just getting us saved, but he wanted to do something that after we come into the kingdom so that it impacts our life on a daily basis? And so if you look at the, the kind of the tail end of verse 4, um, Peter says that having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. 
The reality is, is that for those who have given their lives over to Christ, and, and that's the best decision that one could ever make, your heart wasn't immediately changed. There's still iniquity there. We, there's some theologians, they, they talk about this sanctification process, where God is working in you to make you more and more like himself so that you can be holy as he is holy. And so it's a process that you have to go through. But often, um, because of the war between the flesh and the spirit, you don't even recognize where those sinful desires lie and how it works itself out in you. And so what we, we will find um, in terms of why, we, why, why Peter would say that God has given us these things is we find a need to have an honest assessment of who we are and where we are in our walk with God and our need for him. Because if we're not honest with ourselves, then what we will do is we will substitute being real disciples of Christ with good behavior. We'll think that our behavior is what makes us Christians. Well, you know, I don't do this or I don't do that. You know, those folks over there, they're committing those types of sins. Man, thank God I don't do that. I'm a good Christian man or a good Christian woman. And we look at behavior as an indication of who is really walking with God and who isn't. Laughing with a friend the other day that Peter was the kind of guy that will pull his sword. Now, now check this out. He is walking with Jesus. God incarnate here on the earth. And he pulls out his sword and cuts a man's ear off because he was ready to ride for Jesus. Oh, well, they, they, they came up. Um, you know, I, I use a little street language. I'm communicating well with you. When I say ride, that he was willing to um, put his life on the line for the Lord. <laughs> I mean, look, there's soldiers in front of them. I would assume there's more of them than there are of, of, of Jesus and his guys. But Peter pulled his sword out immediately and cut a guy's ear off. Would you? Would, would that be the kind of indication to you that he was a Christian? Or would we quickly say, no, 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 no. That's not a man that's forgiven for the Lord. If we don't have an honest assessment of where we are and what's going on in our heart, and the danger that is there, in our flesh. And as Paul talks about in Galatians 5, that there is a true war that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. Then we would just continue to get bushwhacked over and over and over. And when temptations come that we can't we can't seem to get over the hurdle of. Because we're not being honest about the state of our heart and the need for God to, to come in and to make changes and to cleanse us of all the unrighteousness that resides there. So when, when we think about what Peter is saying here at the end of verse 4, he's saying that there's corrupted desire. There's a corrupted desire that we have. And it doesn't always look like bad behavior. It can be something positive. Take Eve in the garden. I, mean, I know we, we, we're all familiar with the story. But at the essence, what she fell prey to, the deception that she fell prey to was that she could be like God. Who was better than God? Now, there was something corrupted in it because she wanted to get on God's status and not stay in the position that she had beneath him as a child. But on the surface, it doesn't seem to be the most egregious thing. Often we find people who are outside the faith doing really good things. 
And sometimes it can be perplexing for us to say that, man, there's no no one does good. No, that, that, that God says that our righteousness is but a filthy rag before him. Because on the surface, we look at things and we say, man, look at that, that atheist in the hospital. Isn't that a, a good thing? But often our desires have been corrupted with the pride of life. And so we, we look to do things that may exalt us. Or maybe there's a, the lust of the eye or the lust of the flesh because that's the, the, the way the enemy likes to attack us and, 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 and come into conflict with our flesh to work against the spirit of God that would lead us and guide us as his children. This, this, this corrupted desire that, that, that begins to um, really taint any of the good works that we think that we do. And so when God proclaims in Jeremiah that, that our hearts are deceptively wicked, who can understand it? He's letting you know that even though you think you're doing something good, it really is like a, a filthy rag before him because it's been corrupted with all types of sin and iniquity mixed into it. But the reality is, is that when you live in a culture that's full of sin, it's hard to recognize it because it's just the air that we breathe. I mean, um, being in a, in a city, sometimes you, you get in all the smog, and, and where, where I stand in Northern Virginia on 66, you, you get stuck in traffic if, if I have to go that way, and, and, and things are crazy, and, 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 and that could be an experience. But um, just the other day with the men's ministry, we, we went out to Madison, uh, Virginia. Had never been out there. Um, but one of the brothers at our church, he owned some property, so we went out there um, to do a manhood um, ceremony. Uh, but being out there, the freshness of everything, the sights that we saw, and it was a totally different experience for me, for somebody who lives more in a, a suburb of a, a major city. It, it, it was a, a chance to be able to see some differences that when I'm kind of caught in the culture that I live in on a day-to-day -day basis, I just ignore it because it's just what we see and what, what's going on around me. And so when we live in a society that can begin to rank sins, when we put people in prison for certain sins, and, and, and we disregard other sins, or we say it's not really that bad, we live in a culture that makes it acceptable to live in a way that's against God. And that's something that we have to have an honest assessment about. We have to, to honestly go before God in a prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal those things to us Otherwise, we'll get caught up in this behavior, this behavior modification, as opposed to being truly submitted to God so that we can live this life in the spirit that he intended for every Christian to live in. Not the super Christian that seems to be on the varsity team and everybody else is on JV. God's, is in, God's intention is that we would all walk in this glory that he's made available to us. And so Peter doesn't make a distinction between this person or that person. He says that through his divine power, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and, uh, and godliness. That was to everyone. This, is, this letter isn't to a, a particular person. This is to us all. And so we have to be familiar with that. We have to have an honest assessment of where we are. And then we also have to be honest about the changes that we've been trying to work in our lives. Maybe there are some sins that you are well aware of that, that you seem to continue to fall prey to on a continual basis. And so it may look like myself years ago when there were certain sins that I had, not to say by any stretch that I'm perfect, and there are things now that I'm asking God to work out in my life, but I had this behavioral pattern of, 
I'm not going to do this thing ever again. And I'm at church, I'm crying out, maybe it's a, a, a worship service or something like that. I'm on my knees crying to God, committing myself to not changing. And then two months or three months or maybe two weeks later, I'm right back at it again. Without an honest assessment of what's in our hearts and what's working against us, then we find this ineffective cycle that we, we, we are in, that there is a, a change for a moment, but then I'm right back to that old lifestyle habit. So Peter wants us to, to have an honest assessment of what's really going on in your heart. And after you have that honest assessment or, or you answer the question of why has God granted to us through his divine power everything that pertains to life and godliness, then we have to take the right position. The right position is to humble ourselves. Now, humility isn't one of those things where, you know, I don't really talk to anybody and keep my eyes down low it's not that it's an honest assessment of where you are it's not trying to become something more than you are or even being lower than where God has placed you I would be in sin if I, I did not walk in the call to be a pastor it's not that I wanted to be a pastor or anything like that but it's what God called me into uh, because of the gifts that he's given to me Likewise, for you, there are gifts that God has placed on the inside of you that the community needs. And maybe it isn't for you to preach from the front, but at your, your, your place of employment, maybe it's um, in the recreation that you, you, you have or the influence that you have within the community. In the various ways, in, in God's um, wisdom, he has chosen to give us all gifts that will allow us to bring glory to himself. But if you don't humble yourself and really begin to walk in what God has called you to, because, you know, it's, I, I don't know if I could do all of that. I don't know why God would, 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 would say that to me, because I'm not smart enough for that. Or, or in my past, I made too many mistakes, so I can't do this. If, if you find yourself constantly disqualifying yourself from what God has called you into, then you're not being humble. Because God is the one who should be able to speak into your life and give you direction and tell you what you are speaking to your life. That you should be able to find your identity and purpose in him. You don't define that. TV doesn't define that. The culture doesn't define that. Even our mothers and fathers don't define that. Now they may get an honor. They may get something from God where they can speak into it. But it ultimately should be coming from the Father. Because he's chosen us before the foundation of the earth. There was a, he made a choice for you. It wasn't, well, you know, all of the people who were in Charlottesville at this point in time, I want to make sure they're Christians, so give me that group over there. He called you by name. He knew you while before you were in the womb of your mother. And he's already laid out purpose and plan for you. And so we can't walk with this arrogant attitude that I'm not worthy enough. None of us are. We can, we, we can put that on the table. None of us are. But the reality is he's calling you up into something greater. It reminds me of Gideon. His story can be found in Judges. But he is, he is shucking wheat in the wine press when his story is being introduced. And, and, and really what you're supposed to do when you're shucking wheat is you go to the top of the hill, you throw it up, and then that, that allows the lighter parts to float off and you keep the heavier parts of, of the wheat. But he's down in the wine press because there's been um, one of those ites I can't remember exactly who the enemy was, but um, the, the enemy was coming in and they were taking their harvest. 
And so because he was scared of having this stuff snatched from him as if like Debo was coming on the scene um, <laughs> and, and coming to take his chain, he's down in the wine press doing it the hard way. And then the angel of the Lord comes to him and calls him a mighty man of God. I'm like, whoa, 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 who are you talking to? I'm the lowest in my family. My family is the lowest in our tribe. My tribe is the lowest of all the tribes. But God had called him into something that will bring relief to his people. This is the same thing that God is doing for us here. There's something that God wants to do into this community. That he's calling us all, those who are members here at, at Victory. That, that there's something much greater than yourself. That God is calling you into. And if you don't humble yourself, if you will not humble yourself and allow God to use you, then you may miss out on being a part of something that has eternal significance. It's bigger than yourself. I've had this, this kind of dream, idea, something where I was praying and thinking about God. It wasn't a vision, uh, but it was this idea of I get an opportunity in, in eternity to meet somebody from um, the army of Jericho in, in that story of Jericho. If you guys are familiar with that, marching around the city for several days, on the last day, marching around it several more times, and then the walls fall. And in this, this kind of dream, vision, idea that I had, um, I'm communicating with someone from that, and I'm like, man, what was that like? Like, first off, I want to know, was it like crazy hot? Was it like 100 and something degrees? I don't know why. I just, for some reason, think it must have been really uncomfortable, that, and then God wanted them to be obedient, even being that discomfort. But what was that like? What was, what was it about that um, situation? I mean, where was your heart at? What did you think? Were they making fun of you? I've watched VeggieTales with my kids before, and, and in VeggieTales, they actually have Slurpees, and they're throwing it on their heads as they're marching around the city. Did, did that something like that happen? I know what just happened. But I'm just saying, I was want to get his eyewitness account of, of the affair. And I imagine them being excited and saying, you know, Sean, it's, it's amazing to see God move in our lives. Because we were fearful. We wasn't really prepared for battle. We weren't warriors or anything like that. But to see God give us the victory, oh man, it gave me so much confidence that everything that Moses and Joshua were saying was going to come to pass. But then I imagine he flips it around and says, what was it like for you to be a part of winning your city? And I want to say that to you guys. What would that be like to know that the hundreds of years of history that God had chosen to, to plant this church and be a part of something that completely changes the trajectory of your city? What would that be like? Humble yourself and see something much larger than yourself to be a part of something like that. Allow God to use you in ways. Maybe it's to start a business. Maybe it's to, to love on your neighbor who hates you. Maybe it's to be with somebody who has who has has done something that that says they hate you for no reason, maybe because you're a woman or or you're a minority or something along those lines, but loving them anyways. Allow God's impact to really be the thing that makes transformation possible in this area. Humble yourself is the disposition that we have to have once we have an honest assessment of where we are of the corrupt desires that can reside on the inside of us, in our flesh, in our natural man. We have to humble ourselves under God, follow his direction and lead. And then I think that you become positioned to be a partaker 
of the divine nature. Or in, in another way of saying that, uh, is to be a disciple and a life in the spirit. Because when you humble yourself, then you can follow the instructions like Joshua did in Joshua 1.8. Um, God tells Joshua as he's preparing to take this army into the promised land and to conquer um, what Moses has promised them was going to happen. This land flowing with milk and honey. Chapter 1, verse 8 says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Joshua absolutely understood that his victory would only come through his obedience to the Father. He learned very quickly that any deviation from that could bring about defeat. Because right after Jericho, um, because of the disobedience and because of the lack of prayer, um, there was there was defeat there. The people had started to, to drift away from being fully obedient to God. Now, in no way do I think that, that, that we're ever going to hit perfection in it. And so God, through his grace, allowed him to continue on and, 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 and be able to make amends um, for, for the poor decision and, and things of that nature. Our God is a loving God. And so he's granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And he's done this through a knowledge of him. And, and, and the thing that's interesting to me is that like, when you read through Joshua, the book of Joshua and, and the conquest of the, the promised land, it, you get to feel like it happened maybe like in the course of a year. But it actually took place over the course of seven years. And so he would go out, have a battle, they would go set up, they would do some things, but constantly he is in his word. He's not allowing it to depart from him. He's meditating on the word. Before the next battle takes place, he's spending more time in the word. I'm sure that he began to memorize it. Over the course of seven years, he began to memorize stuff, and so he's meditating on it. But the beauty is that we have a living word, and so it, there are new revelations that come. There's new illumination that comes, and it's in this knowledge of God that success was guaranteed. That's, that's what Peter is telling us. It's through this knowledge of God that you will begin to understand the promises that he has left for you. The promises of cleansing you of unrighteousness. The truths of the love that he has for you so that you don't have to be defined by the world. You don't have to go after, chase after what they say is the greatest thing. There are promises that are tied up in your knowledge of him. Old theologian, um, A.W. Tozer, he says, I thought this was really good. Um, what comes into your mind? He asks this question. What comes into your mind when you think about God the most? What kind of thoughts do you have of God? Because he says, this is what he said was. I try to ask the question, but <laughs> this is what he actually says. What comes into you, to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about God. Because the picture that you have of the Father, your soul kind of drifts towards that picture. It can be seen in your prayer life. Do you feel like, man, I got these issues that are here. I got to figure out a way to, to get it done. Do you, you go about the business of figuring it out? Or do you go and spend time on your knees asking God for instruction? And be honest with yourself about that. Because your picture of God often has caused you not to spend time in prayer first. 
because you're not really sure if God knows the answer. I mean, I know God is very familiar with our moral behavior, but when it comes to the, the, the details of my job and being able to solve this problem, maybe in my framework of who God is, he's not really I'm an all-knowing God. One of my experiences as a campus minister, I thought was really um, kind of funny. Um, you know, you guys are familiar with finals week. Girls in the team college, and you know, that's a time where students they're just cramming because of the long week and they, they haven't really slept well and hair could be disheveled and stuff like that. And so um, we're doing some ministry in, in what's called the Johnson Center at George Mason University. And one of the students who's a part of the ministry, he comes walking through and I guess he's trying to get away from the books and things like that. And I say, David, man, what, what's going on? He said, man, I've been working on this problem, trying to build an app out for a class and just can't seem to solve this issue. Said, I've been at it for two days. I'm like, have you prayed and asked God about it? He looks at me, places his No. Why, why would I do that? It's like, you do know the Bible says that he knows that. There's a possibility he could answer even your question that you have concerning that. And amazingly, he goes, he spends some time in prayer, and the answer seems to come to him. And it wasn't a burning bush experience where God audibly spoke the answer to him, but it seemed like the problem that he had was unlocked because he humbled himself and he was able to partake of this promise that God would make his pathway straight if he would just spend time in the Word and meditate on it and give things over to him. This is what's made available to us. This is what Peter is saying is one of the most important things that I can say to you as, as I'm getting ready to depart from this planet. Is that you can be a partaker of the divine nature. You don't have to live beneath the promises that God has made available to you. That we have something greater available to us as Christians. As children of the Most High God. That would distinguish us from the world. It doesn't mean our lives are going to be easy. It doesn't mean that we're going to be rich and, and things of that nature. But it does give us an indication that the freedom that has been made available through Christ is not just for the sweet by and by, but it's for here today. The deep pains and the deep wounds that, that some of us have from our childhood, we can be freed up from that if we become a partaker of this divine nature. When we read the promises that God has made, that, that he wants to take your burdens on, he is willing to do that if we will, we will fall, if we will humble ourselves and give it over to him. There may be somebody in here who doesn't.